At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I speak with cultural photographer Matt Jacob. Matt takes stunning cultural portraits of people in different areas of the world, especially places that people don't typically visit. He highlights their stories and connects with them really beautifully, and he also has his own podcast. We will discuss all of these things and more in this episode. Make sure to listen to the whole story because Matt has a lot of wisdom to share. Please enjoy. Hi, Matt. Welcome to Great Big Photography World Podcast. So happy to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Hi, Ty. Hi, listeners. My name is Matt Jacob, and uh, I'm a cultural portrait photographer, I guess, would be if I had to put a label on it. I do many different types of photography, but my, kind of my, my main go-to is, is portraits, you know, environmental portraits with, uh, I guess, subcultures and the lesser-known people around the world. So it's an absolute pleasure to be here. I'm from the UK. I live in Bali, moved there from Hong Kong last year, where I kind of applied the, the trade of being a pilot for, for most of my life and now transitioning into the photography world, uh, more of a full-time basis. And very honored to have a studio in Bali where we host a podcast as well, the Mood Podcast, you know, have some wonderful guests on there and do a lot of studio shoots, videos, and all the kind of uh, fun, creative stuff when, when we're around and feeling spontaneous spontaneous so yeah absolute pleasure to be here thanks for having me on thank you for taking the time to speak with me today cultural portrait photographer i've never heard of that genre i think it's very unique and i would love to find out more about it so how did you get into photography initially yeah it is honestly i've never never been able to describe kind of what i want to photograph and kind of my my passion in terms of vision and, and what i want to capture with the with the lens but it kind of, the, the source of that passion came from, well, after after I kind of picked up a camera when I was flying and, and kind of traveling around the world as a pilot, I always wanted a way to kind of share that 
those experiences with even just my friends and family because being a pilot is kind of quite a lonely job it's you know you're usually with one other guy and maybe a flight attendant or two and you're very isolated right you don't you don't share those experiences with anyone else it's an extremely isolated job so I, I guess the the ego in me wanted to to kind of tell people what I was doing that quickly evolved into oh this you know this camera is kind of cool I like you know being being a pilot I was kind of interested in pressing buttons and technology and gadgets and stuff so that was kind of my initial interest in cameras when I kind of found out what I could capture with those cameras and learned a little bit of the the technical side of it just through interest because you know the frustrations of not being able to get what you wanted in the final image it was just overwhelming I hated it so I, I learned as quickly as I could on my own it was still very bad but I could see improvement I, and I kind of coming from a kind of a technical scientific mind I kind of understood light I kind of understood how a camera worked and so I, I picked that bit up quite quickly my creativity was was lacking big time so I kind of tried all types of genres I enjoyed wildlife, I enjoyed street, landscape, and it wasn't until I got invited by a friend who was running a workshop in Mongolia back in 2017, uh, I think, about six years ago. It all clicked for me, and we were shooting with various families in the Altai Mountains for eagle hunter families, and yeah, just the experience alone, I was absolute travel addict. So, so I, was, I was loving the experience in itself, but there were a couple of really amazing photographers on that workshop who were, who were leading it. And literally, and I'll never forget this moment, but one of them, who's still my friend today, he he took me aside and just gave, actually, I asked for him to take me aside. said, look, can you just give me 10 minutes of your time? I was confident that I was a fairly quick learner. And we were in a room in this in freezing cold with a, a dad and a daughter of, of an eagle f- hunting family. And the light was incredible. I didn't understand most of it at the time, but the guy I was with just gave me 10 minutes of his time and told me a few basic things. And once I saw those images come out, obviously I, I just copied what he did. Uh, but I so I got similar images. I was like, this is unbelievable. And so my my love for portraits and people and the way he showed me how to handle people and what emotions you could grab from from an environment and from the camera and the light i was blown away and uh that was it that i was i was hooked and so from then i kind of stuck with portraiture i was still traveling a lot so i tried to kind of combine travel with with photography you know most of the places i traveled were the lesser known locations and so I try and go to I was just always interested in different cultures so I'd always try and go to the non-tourist places I'll try and go off the beaten path and find as rural a place as possible and just meet the people there spend time with them and and that was it I just absolutely love that that form and a lot of times I don't come away with any photos or I don't come away with any that I'm proud of but you know it's those connections and that experiences that that outweigh the images but a lot of the time I can I'm able to to at least get one or two nice photos of the experience so I can tie that all together and that's that's kind of where the journey got to and that's where I'm at at the moment. It's such an amazing story and I like your mindset because instead of expecting 
the best from every shoot. You focus more on the connections that you make with your subjects. And then whatever you get as a bonus is just, it's good enough. It doesn't need to be perfect. I think that's the way to be successful as a photographer and to have some kind of sustainability because if you constantly expect perfection from every shoot as I sometimes do <laughs> then you end up feeling burnt out and so it's definitely better to approach it the way that you do. Yeah people ask me that all the time I think that's just kind of a natural thing for me but I do agree that I thought it was much of a cliche and people would teach me how to kind of settle into a project like a portrait project you know, if you're with, if you're in a certain location for a week, let's say, how you go about creating the best art, but also a, a valid and powerful documentation of those people. They always used to tell me, oh, you need, don't pick up a camera for the first few days, you know, get to know them, you'll get better shots. And I was like, no, that's not true, because you can direct them and you can, you know, you can play with the light, you've got editing skills, you can, you know, I'd rather get more shots, rather get it all in, bang, bang, bang. And so obviously I'm, I'm stubborn and, and arrogant and kind of did that initially and, and you know, quickly realised that not only did I get worse images, but I left those places making the people maybe not that comfortable or not, not very happy with the end result, right? So, and that's what we have to remember, certainly as portrait photographers, it's like you're, you're not just there to get photos for yourself. It's a collaboration. You're there also to make that other person feel valued, feel happy, feel beautiful, whatever, what kind of whatever the, the goal of that shoot is. In my case, you know, if I'm photographing people who who are very poor or might not be poor, but have not had had a photo shoot before. So it's, either way, it's all very special, whatever kind of whatever situation I'm in with them. I think that's just such an important part to remember. And the bonus of that approach is you will definitely get better images. And not only will you get better images, you'll get a better story, you'll get a better series, and you will come out of it feeling so much more fulfilled. Because not only have you got what you wanted in terms of images, you've come out of there probably making a difference to someone's life. And that for me is, is more than the images themselves. So I, I think without sounding too kind of cringy, but you know, it is, it is very important for me that I try not to leave that place worse than I found it or leave those people with a sour taste in their mouth. So I think that is an important lesson to learn either through making your own mistakes or if you're better than me, maybe you'll, you'll listen to someone <laughs> and take that approach. Well, it's very well put. I like the way that you approach it, definitely. And yeah, it's more ethical that way. Because if you're constantly taking photos of people just for the sake of photographing their situation or the way they look, they all just feel like they were exploited. Nobody wants that. So it's great that you connect with them. And I like what you said about taking some time to get to know the subjects first and to really understand who they are before even picking up your camera. I want to go back to that photographer who mentored you for 10 minutes do you remember the things that they shared with you? And do you have any tips for photographers who are just starting out in portrait photography? Well, actually, you know, on the on the point we just talked about, his name is Gary Tyson. He's ex-army. He was a photographer in the army and got front covers on National Geographic. And he, you know, very successful himself and very, very good educator. And when I, on the first day of this workshop, we were going around these different houses, just being introduced to the families. And he he didn't take his camera with him right this is the first day i was like what are you doing we're here on a photography workshop let's take some photos 
was like, no, that's the last thing you want to do. They they don't want to to have a lens shoved in their face on the first day. They you are strangers as much as they're strangers to us. So it goes a long way. Um, so he taught me that straight away, even though at the time I didn't really understand or necessarily didn't believe him. But yeah, during those kind of 10, 20 minutes that, that I had him for one-on-one, I mean, we obviously had him for the whole week, but he was torn with, between 10 different people. So I got him one-on-one and he showed me, the first thing he showed me was doorway light. So we already had really nice diffused light. We were in Northern Mongolia. So Sunrises were slow, sunsets were slow, it's middle of the winter. We kind of had time to play with the light and see it. And he just showed me, he just, you know, we put our cameras down. He said, just watch the light on my face as I open and close the door. And you could do this at home, right? You can do this anywhere. If you have some light coming through the door, just monitor the light. It's, it, it was at the time I couldn't quite see it, didn't really know what I was talking about, but it seems so simple now but it really is the essence of everything. And so then we went inside the room and we did the same thing. So we could see the light bouncing off all the walls and the light on the subject. And that was it. And then it was, and then it was, he taught me just some composition techniques and how, how certain leading lines and the rule of thirds and these kind of the basic stuff can really help with a situation like that, depending on where the light's coming from. Do you want shadows? Do you want rays of light behind the subjects, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that was that. And then the final piece of the puzzle was the first shot we took was just the father on his own on a chair. Pretty basic. I mean, the light was doing all the work for us. It made it look better than the actual kind of emotion of the photo. And so Gary knew this. He was like, OK, we need we need some more dynamism in the photo. We need something that is if the technical aspects are great, then we've got to put the icing on the cake when we're dealing with people. Right? We've got to get those feelings we've got to get the emotion we've got to get the depth in there somehow and so all he did was bring the father's child who was in the kitchen playing out of sight said look we know you've got a child can you bring her in and put her on put her on your lap and that was it you know immediately the connection there were smiles on their faces they were playing and there was love right in their eyes and so that was it you know just really kind of simple three tips obviously there were nuances to it and you know went pretty much straight over my head but uh, looking back on it, it was kind of the fundamentals of photography he taught me in, you know, in less than 20 minutes. That's amazing. That's a truly talented photographer who is also an amazing educator. Being able to express and explain all of that within 20 minutes is amazing to me. And I'm so happy that you had that experience. First of all, doorway light. That's really cool. I've never heard of that. And second of all, just having that connection with the subject and being able to express something Adding that little oomph, you know, icing on the cake, as you said, I think that's incredible. So, yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. I'm sure that the listeners will find this very useful. And it's making me think more about the way that I take photographs as well. I don't think you need much help. I think, uh, you know, your images are amazing. So I, I mean, we always try and improve, but I think you've got the fundamentals of photography nailed. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. <laughs> so you had that. 20, 10 to 20 minute photo shoot, and then you started to build your own portfolio, right? What does your photography process look like now? Oh, yeah, very similar to that workshop, to be honest. I mean, in terms of logistics, in terms of the type of people I want to go and shoot, I spent probably three months researching a project or or a larger kind of group of projects, a series of projects I want to group into 
into one thing like I'm trying to do now with Indonesia. I'm often dictated by my available time. And so because I, I learned this type of photography as a pilot, I would be kind of away half a year doing pilot stuff and then home or on holiday or doing photography projects on the other side. So I had to kind of plan. I couldn't just go out and do this type of photography, right? It's I was kind of getting dictated to where I was going to be every week with my job. And so I'd have to kind of, oh, can I do photography here? Can I not? Do I have enough time off, et cetera? So I, I kind of took that out of the equation and said, look, I'm just going to, I'm just going to focus on the things that I can I can control. So I, I started doing very similar types of projects, just shooting anything kind of for the first few years. You just kind of pick a point on the map and go and shoot. And then, you know, really learning about how to tie stories and series together and what places really, really interest me and more importantly, what type of people really interest me. So usually I'll do a project every three months. And I will spend those kind of three months in between kind of planning for the next one. And then I'll, once I've got an idea of, of where I'm going, what I want to shoot, I'll try and get a fixer because nearly all of the places I go to, I need someone on the ground who not only speaks the language, knows the area, is familiar with the people, familiar with the logistics required, and most importantly, is familiar with photography. And they are they're like gold dust you know there aren't many of them around and so you have to look very carefully and uh, try and try and have long-term relationships with these people who you can call on at any time i only really have one of those guys in indonesia just because i live there and it's such a diverse country with so many different subcultures that it's much easier to have that kind of guy that i can go to who can arrange stuff for me but anyway once i find someone then it's just a matter of planning the shoots really um and explaining that to fixer and once my feet are on the ground it's reliant heavily on on the fixer and what if we've got enough time to do what we do so then it's you know then it's literally sunrise and sunset every day and in between i'll look for indoor spaces that i can do portraits and yeah so what's kind of i don't know a week or so of that usually on average i'll come away and then i'll i'll deliberately give some emotional space between the project and sitting down with Lightroom and selecting photos, understanding what I really want to say from this series, who's it going to. Most of the time, it's just my passion project, my personal passion passion projects. Sometimes as a client, though, so, you know, what do they want to see if there's a deadline? But usually for me, I take way too long to edit photos. I probably won't sit down with them for at least a month after the project. A, because I could come in with a really fresh perspective, but B, I'm just lazy. And the thought of going through a thousand photos, probably 50 different setups, just is daunting. And I just can't be bothered. So even though I know usually I've got some really nice stuff and I kind of, but once I'm in that editing phase, I, you know, I'm in the groove and yeah, I kind of don't stop for a while. And then that's it. Yeah, I just, um, you know, hopefully that's answered your question in terms of process. But equipment wise, I, you know, I, I'm a Hasselblad guy. I, I fell in love with Hasselblad many years ago. So I take a now an X2D and I'll, I'll always take an artificial light with me, which is just one big reason why I, I have to have a fixer because I've got equipment. I'm not a usual kind of travel photographer, it just has a backpack. I wish I was. Oh my goodness. So many times I wish I just had a backpack. But um, 
I usually have backpack and then a case and probably a light stand case as well because it doesn't fit in the, in my suitcase. So yeah, I have that with a with a Profoto B10 and a and a softbox um, because I love using I love being creative with that artificial light outside or on location. And it really the amount of times it saved my bacon when the weather's been so bad it was raining outside and the lights really low or we haven't got a shot and it's got to whatever time of the day so we can't use outside. So yeah, that's it. I, kind of heavy equipment, but I always feel like it's worth it. So hopefully that answers answers your question with the with the process. Sorry, it's a long winded one. No, well, I like how detailed you are because maybe some parts of your process might inspire the listeners to change something in their process i think it's really important to talk about these things and thank you for going into detail i like what you said about all the things that you care i think it's good exercise but i understand why it's frustrating (laughs) i don't know it's just it's just the necessity for what i want to get and you know I, i have been in places before where I've regretted not bringing something, and I said to myself, "I'm never gonna. That's never gonna happen again, unless customs actually prize it for my hand, or for some legal reason I can't take. Sometimes like a drone, right? Which is very rare. Most of the time, I will take more than I need because you know usually the places I go aren't very accessible, and you can't just jump on a on a train somewhere or get something shipped it's like no you're you're there and you you've you've got what you have and that's it yeah it, it is annoying but it's just part of the job definitely yeah and it's good to be prepared how do you want people to feel when they look at your photographs curious and emotional i think i, I always want to spark some emotion with photos and i think most portrait photographers do oh, i guess most photographers do I think with with mine, if, if I'm being honest, I, I, I really want people to ask questions about it or ask themselves, oh, you know, what is this? Where is it? And why don't I know about it kind of thing? Cause that, so there is a definite, a definite desire to want to educate people as well through these photos. You know, th- this is a person from whoever, part of some tribe who believes in whatever, you know, it's. I think that's important to me for people to ask more questions when they see a photo, which is why a lot of my, say if I post on something like Instagram, I'll try and write a caption as well because it helps the viewer to to answer those questions when they see an image. I hope that they see the image and then scroll down and go, oh, I hope there's more information about this, right? So, you know, secondary to that, you know, my dream reaction to a photo is someone crying. Like, I, you know, I want it to be that powerful. Because that's the whole, for me, that's the whole essence of art is to really spark something inside of someone, whether it's a happy emotion, a sad emotion or an angry emotion, whatever type of feeling they might get, I hope it sparks a feeling. And so, yeah, I put everything into certainly the aesthetics, but in that moment, and you probably experienced this, in that moment where you're locking eyes with another person, how can I get that person to communicate their emotions so that it's translated into the, the viewer as well. That that's kind of the idea with with how I shoot and what I want to shoot. 
I love that answer. And when it comes to the questions that people ask you about your work or the questions you want them to ask you about your work, what is the best question that's been asked so far about one of your photos? Well, it's not what camera did you use? Because uh, <laughs> every, pretty much every photo is, oh, what camera is this? All right, okay. It's, that's a valid question, but it's not the point. The best question, yeah, that's a good question itself. I think the best, usually the best question is, you know, who are they? You know, because you want to do a service to that individual or to that group of people that you're photographing as well. And so most of the time, these people want the outside world to know who they are and what they believe in and what they stand for, whatever, whatever is special about them and their belief system. Or maybe it's not that, maybe it's just their location and they want to share that with people. You know, most of the people I photograph are really very, very proud people. And so it's always lovely for people to ask, you know, who, who is this and, and where are they? Not that I want everyone to go there and to bombard them like a lot of tourists do, but to give that back to the people that I photograph, I think, I think is enough. So that's always, always, a, always a good question. Yeah, I can imagine that it's gratifying because earlier you said that you want your photos to spark that curiosity. So when people respond in that way, I'm sure that it's very rewarding for both you and the subject as well. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier that you have a podcast. How has your podcasting experience helped you? And what advice would you give to photographers who want to do something similar? The beauty of podcasting is, is having a conversation, which I don't think we do enough as a society these days, especially in the West. And I mean a proper conversation. I don't mean small chat, right, while you're looking at your phone uh, every five minutes. That, that for me is, has brought back just, you know, the, the passion of wanting to understand what's in other people's heads, especially in the photography world, where it's such a subjective trade such a subjective craft and so individual and personal to that person it's just fascinating to me to to get inside other people's minds and what they're thinking and how they create and what their perception on life is photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses articles video tutorials editing resources and much more we have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did, and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member. So I think doing the podcast has, has improved my empathy, which to answer the second part of your question is extremely important for a photographer especially a portrait photographer if you're able to empathize with your subject if you're able to empathize with the people around you or your team or your your culture or the location either country the people you deal with just to get there 
if you're able to have more empathy with all of that and for the system itself, then you'll be a better human and you'll be, without doubt, a better photographer. So technical stuff aside, I think if photographers want to do something similar, then they've got to understand that it's not about them. It's about it's about offering something that's part of you, which is which is empathy. And, you know, it's difficult, as you well know, but it's it's very rewarding. I think in my experience that has helped me, I think, better be a better photographer, but also a better podcast host. That's a great answer. And I completely agree because when you put yourself in a situation where you have to get to know someone who might be potentially very different to you, might have different opinions, you have to be diplomatic. And I mean, we, we don't have political podcasts, but regardless, in any situation, as you said, photography is subjective. So no one will look at the same thing the same way. And so it's always interesting to speak with someone to find out what they think and maybe potentially change your opinion about something based on their... All the time. Thoughts. Yes. All the time. Every, every episode I come away, I say to my wife, like, oh, I've learned something today. You know, and that, that's not the goal of the podcast, right? It's not to teach Matt something, but just by talking to another human for a couple of hours, you, you're probably going to, to, whether you agree or disagree, you might learn that, okay, I'm a bit stronger in my opinion or a bit stronger in my process, or if it's photography, okay, I'm a bit stronger with how I feel about my images or how I feel about my direction. Or it could be the other way, like, oh yeah, I want to try that. Or maybe I should give this a go or try that bit of equipment or Maybe I should read that book or oh, now we're going to follow them on Instagram. So you become inspired. Like there's just not enough of that. I don't think. Um, and I know that we we don't really go into politics, but I invite all of my guests to be edgy is the wrong word, but to be as honest as as possible. And that's why sometimes we do these long podcasts where it takes me a while to kind of dig a bit deeper and to especially if I don't know them to try and get to know them quite quickly to get under the surface and I want them to spark something in me and I want them to spark something in the audience whether it's you know I don't want it to be controversial but do you know what I mean it's like it's the more types of difficult conversations we can have or the more types of honest conversations and discourse we can have the better we'll all be and to bring it back to me <laughs> the better I'll be as well right so I think that empathy kind of runs through all of that on both sides, but especially on our side as, as hosts. Definitely. I think we should change the name of our podcast to please teach the host something today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give me, give, give it to me. Give me more information. <laughs> me first. No, I'm joking. Yeah, me I first. Me first. <laughs> <laughs> teach me something now. <laughs> but I, I love that. I completely agree with everything you said, and I think it's it's a magical process. It's, it's very similar to, as you mentioned earlier, when you're photographing a subject and you feel that connection and you know the photo might potentially make the viewer feel something. It's the same when you're interviewing someone. Once you get into the groove of things and you're on the same wavelength, this is so cliche, but you know what I mean, right? When you can just feel the energy and you know that the listeners can also feel it, that's a very special feeling. And I hope that more photographers can feel this way. Yeah. Do, I mean, do you have problems with people lasting through your episode in terms of we generally, me included, we have a kind of a shorter attention span, right? So I know pod, it's difficult because podcasts are very popular. People love them. But, you know, photography, you know, a, a niched down podcast like photography 
I don't know if it's difficult for, for people to stay with it. Um, I think, it, and we were talking earlier, but I think an hour is a really good time. But do you find that attention span or, or listening minutes kind of drops off or is that just a misnomer that I'm imagining? First of all, I like that you're interviewing me. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, no, I like it, honestly. Two podcast hosts you first. together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just in our blood now. But no, I, I agree. I mean, yeah, unfortunately, people's attention span is changing because of the advancement of technology and social media. But at the same time, I think, not that it depends on the guest, but once you develop that trust with the listeners and they trust that you will ask the right questions and that the guest will provide the right answers that will inspire them, I think, yeah, that's what's most important. And mm-hmm. for me, I notice a consistency on the podcast. We have a consistent amount of people that listen to each episode. So that's been very motivating for me. And so I would rather have a small amount of listeners growing over time than having a lot of people who, yeah, stop listening in the middle of the episode. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I totally agree. That's fantastic. In terms of podcasting, as we just mentioned, we learn so much selfishly as podcast hosts, and it's a very exciting part of the process. What is the most interesting thing you've learned from one of your guests? Nothing technical. I tend not to talk too much about technical stuff or equipment. I know, and I know a lot of listeners want to hear that, but maybe it's just me being selfish again. Let's get into the real kind of nitty gritty. So I think, you know, looking back to one of my episodes with a fantastic travel photographer called Sean Dalton, we were about an hour in and somehow we got on to the subject of mental health and how that can affect your creativity and how it can affect your output and your, you know, I guess the start of images that you create because you're you're looking at it through it. So if you have you have a, um, a period of difficult mental health and maybe you're depressed or something, you, you'll take photos very differently to when you're happy, right? Which is an amazing thing about the, the art. But we got very kind of deep into that. And, you know, he was he opened up about his depression and mental health and suicidal thoughts and things like that. And we cut some of it because he wanted me to cut some of it. But that was something that, you know, just reminded me is like even on a two hour podcast, you just don't know these people. And, you know, even if you're friend, he's my friend as well. Like, and I didn't really know that about him. So to have that kind of thrown across at me, across the table from me, I didn't really know how to react, but it was a very, very interesting moment and uh, topic of conversation and something that I hadn't really thought about before past my own kind of mental health in terms of uh, how am I feeling today? How am I going to shoot? So yeah, that was probably the the one thing that sticks out to me um, with, with Sean. I understand that. And I think, yeah, definitely for you, because you have these two-hour podcast episodes, and that's amazing. You get to know the guest even more. And yes, definitely, you do get surprised sometimes by the things that they say, especially because you like to have deep conversations. So I'm sure it's very eye-opening for you very often when mm. you get to know these people, especially if you didn't know them that much before. But I know that most of your guests are your friends, right? Yeah, that most of my guests so far, I mean, we've only done, what, 17 episodes, but and nearly all of them have either been friends or friends of friends that I haven't met, but that we've had a mutual connection because I've just started it with the people in Bali because obviously that's makes sense. You know, I can't be flying people here. So yeah, I'm going to start doing more online stuff because it's just, I just have to, but yeah, mo- most of the people so far have been 
friends of friends. That's really interesting. If you could meet your favorite photographer or a photographer that you really admire, and you could only ask them one question related to photography, what would it be? Oh, my goodness. Well, I did meet my favorite photographer. I was very, very fortunate to meet Joey L in New York. And I had to buy an NFT just to meet him. Well, it's not quite true. I, I bought one of his NFTs about a year ago. And so we were already talking via Twitter. And I was in New York with work and he lives there. And I was just reached out and said, do you want to meet for coffee? And he just finished his Ethiopia project, which was a 13-year-long project. And he created an incredible book, which I bought. And then he signed it for me. And so I was a little bit starstruck. So I had a lot of things I wanted to ask him. I think the main question that I did ask him and that I would ask pretty much anyone is, what is your intent? What's your intent with anything, right? What, what is the purpose of this photograph or this location or these people or this book or this series? What is your voice? You know, what are you trying to say? And I think the answer to that question separates good photographers from great photographers. And so I'm constantly trying to ask myself that question. And it's, it's just so difficult. It doesn't work when it's a superficial answer. Like, oh, I just want to show the people of Ethiopia, right? It's what, are you, what is underlying? What, it, what is the message that you're trying to portray with this art or this, uh, this project, right? So I would, I usually ask that actually in roundabout ways to most of my guests and get some interesting answers. And without tr wanting to try and catch anyone out, whether it's my podcast guests or anyone, right? Anyone on social media or don't even have to be a photographer. But I, I think life has to have, or you and, and you, your place in life has to have some kind of purpose, whether that's a very small one or a grandiose one. When you're able to, to apply that to a photography world and to your craft, then I truly believe that that's what makes people stand out. You know, and whether you're a landscape photographer, a portrait photographer, or whatever genre you choose, the same question applies. Yeah, I think if you're able to answer that question and more importantly, be consistent with the answer and have that as a common denominator throughout your work, I think, I think you'll, you'll go on to, to great things. That's a really powerful question. And if you ask that yourself, especially if you're new to photography, even it can help you build confidence that can give you a very clear idea of what you want to really truly pursue as opposed to what you think you should pursue. Yeah, exactly. It's difficult though, when you're a beginner, isn't it? You know, I try to kind of, I do, I do quite a bit of educational stuff and I always try and put myself back to, to where I was. And it's difficult to listen to those types of tropes and those types of philosophies when all you want to do is learn how to use manual mode without even thinking about it and understand light so you don't even have to consciously think about it it's just in your brain so i think you do have to get to a certain stage technically before you can kind of really focus on excuse the pun but focus on the, the next kind of level and the next kind of stage okay well now i can take photos and i'm pretty happy and other people are happy with what i'm putting out there right okay how am i going to package my work and me as a brand or as an artist or however you want to label yourself into something that matters 
And, you know, some people, uh, I had a friend on the podcast who'd said, well, it's just a business to me. It's purely just a business. Good for you. If you are so clear on that identity and that goal and that purpose, then no doubt you're going to be successful. A few years later, he's very, very successful and earning a lot of money from his photography. Is he the best photographer in the world? Well, that's not up to me to say, but I would argue there are better photographers out there. But he does his photography business so well because he said that, that is my purpose and that is what I'm putting out there with my with the talent that I have and with the skill set that I have. So I think it's I believe it naturally does come to you, but you know, it's still important to ask those questions kind of on a daily basis, even before you shoot. Okay, what am I I, I call it mindful photography. I, I did a I did a little course on this, but if you're mindful of what you're doing, why you're picking up a camera and what what you're going in there to do, then you can't really go wrong because, yeah, you can make mistakes and you can maybe not get the best shots in the world. But over time, when it averages out, you're going to do really well. You're going to be proud of what you have to offer if, you, if you're just considerate of it and you're mindful about, okay, today I'm doing a photo shoot in a studio and I'm really nervous and haven't met these people before, but if you're mindful of okay what am i doing this for and what do i want to get out of it have i prepared well enough to to get to that point then I, you just you can't go wrong nine times out of ten you won't and if it's on a kind of more of a a long-term scale and about a huge body of work then the same the same thing applies if you're going in there with purpose very clear mindful approach then i just don't think i don't believe that you can make too many errors with that with that approach, with that philosophy. I agree with you. I want to switch the topic for a second because you mentioned NFTs briefly and I want to cling to that topic because we haven't discussed it enough on the podcast. <sighs> what are your thoughts on NFT photography? I love it. I, I don't fully understand it. I don't think I ever will actually. I, well, NFTs I understand, but the blockchain technology is, I, I tried so long to get my head around it but it's such an intangible thing it's like understanding the depths of space but you can't relate to it i don't i still don't understand really how blockchains work but nfts themselves are i believe well i'm pretty sure the future or at least are here to stay we're in a very kind of downward trend with cryptocurrency so nfts are kind of obviously ride along with that because they're based off cryptocurrency markets but I think it's it's opened up some incredible avenues for artists to make money. And to put it simply, that's it. Rewind five, ten years, and if you were to to ask any guest on your podcast, say, look, would you would you like to have an extra supplemental way to sell your images without having to worry about gallery space, prints, shipping, all that kind of stuff? You can still do that if you want to. They would have bitten your hand off. Yeah, definitely. The barriers to entry are quite difficult. You still got to run the kind of the conveyor belt of social media to kind of get in there and to build an audience. Because like anything, you can't sell if you don't have an Well, you can. It just makes life harder. But if you have a big enough audience, you can sell to them, right? So it's the same with NFTs. But yeah, to answer your question, it, it's a wonderful tool and the fact that it's non-fungible makes it even more valuable. Added to that, the relationship a, an artist can have with a collector is, is fantastic. 
and the other way around like it's it's a very much a two-way street collectors will be interested in artists much like they are in kind of the the normal world right in the crypto world in the metaverse that type of what's the word i'm looking for tire it's the it's not the metaverse it's the um, something something else anyway that kind of online sphere i think uh it's just as powerful you know having said all of that i don't have any nfts minted <laughs> uh, i plan on um, releasing some some collections by the end of the year i think that's important as well like going back to my previous point if you're an artist and you want to sell nfts especially now in a bear market you see so many people just throwing stuff out there and hoping without the consideration that i think an artist should have like what am i doing this for how am i going to put images together and how am i going to sell those essentially am i going to sell them as a collection or am i just going to do one image because it's my favorite image and i think it's amazing then great but if you have as long as you have intent behind that um but i think yeah nfts are exciting I'm, i'm quite excited about the nft world and it will rebound it's just a cyclical thing at the moment but yeah it's it's special i don't think it's the gold rush that or i don't think it will get to the gold rush that it was last year and the year before so i think it it's kind of mediated it a little bit now but it it will be around forever so i would i would always suggest for any artist to diversify into the nft market these days i like that and i like that you have a positive opinion of it And I also agree with what you said about having that relationship between the artist and the collector. That's a special relationship because it's basically like giving a signed print to someone, but you get to collect that and you get to showcase your collection as a collector, or you get to develop these special relationships with people who are interested in your work, who want to purchase your work in the metaverse, as you said, or in the virtual space. So yeah, it's a different kind of uh, dynamic. And I think it's definitely something photographers should explore if they can. And I think it's actually part of the answer to, maybe answer is the wrong word, but part of a solution to the threat of AI. Because as photographers, AI is going to threaten the authenticity of our work, right? I think some of the photography sectors will be essentially replaced in time by AI. I don't think AI will replace photography at all, but it will question the authenticity of our photos like you know if i go on a project and do photos who's to say that what i took is of a real person compared to ai well the blockchain is the blockchain will be there to authenticate that authenticate that image now how that work what the length of time between now and getting to that stage i don't know because we're we're playing catch up right with AI all the time and it's outgrowing us at an exponential speed. So I think NFT has a has a very big part. NFTs have a very big part to play in in that kind of mediation of how AI will impact us as photographers. Definitely. You have a background as a pilot and you have traveled so many places and met so many interesting people, I'm sure that you have different sources of inspiration in your life. What is something non-photography related that has been inspiring you lately? Non-photography related? Well, you know, I guess I listen to a lot of podcasts that aren't photography related. A lot of, you know, I'm 42, no, I'm not, I'm 41 now. I guess I, I, the last few years I've gone through 
essentially my form of a midlife crisis where I question, you know, my purpose, life itself, health becomes a bit more of a worry, you know, the usual stuff. Myself and my wife don't have children, so I guess those kind of things replaced us bringing up children. But so I, I really, the last kind of three, four years got into philosophy and uh, philosophers like Sam Harris, uh, who I listened to religiously on podcast and reading a lot of, I guess, mental health books, not really mental health, but philosophical and self-improvement books. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm very keen on, on being a great person before anything else and being a happy person, right? I, I've definitely struggled with that since since COVID, as a lot of people have, I'm sure. Happiness is, was, was kind of a distant memory uh, over the last few years. So it's been a, it's been a difficult transition. So I've always sought, sought inspiration from any means necessary. And that could be photographers, it could be music, it could be meditation, it could be listening to podcasts. But I think the, the podcast thing is such a such an enjoyable medium for me i absolutely love doing it hosting it but even more so i love listening to people that inspire me so i think that would have to be my number one kind of thing that still inspires me every day i love that that's a true podcast host someone who also listens to other podcasts that's real passion right there (laughs) well i've got a lot of improvement to make as a host so i you know part of it's just learning i guess (laughs) So selfish intentions again? <laughs> yes, I guess. <laughs> We're just selfish. That's it. <laughs> We're just selfish. It's okay. <laughs> How can people find your work online? Well, I'm a bit of a slave to Instagram, I guess. You can find me at Matty J. So Matty J underscore A-Y. And I use the same handle across Twitter, all of the other social media platforms i don't really spend much time on or my website mattjacobphotography.com and on that website is my podcast page as well the mood podcast you can find all of that there yeah that's about it i'll make sure to share all the links to matt's work in the description make sure to look at his work and support his podcast i think he's really inspiring and matt i have one more question for you what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world that's a that's a difficult one well there are a few I would like to either be on the front of National Geographic or a Hasselblad ambassador. I mean, they're, they're two brands that I just love using their products, reading the magazines or what they stand for and what they're able to to inspire in people. So that on a kind of material level, on a more, I guess, spiritual level, I I don't know. I don't, there is no goal. We were talking about this before, like, don't really have a goal. I mean, I have some goals like, yeah, I want to get to 100,000 followers and I want to sell NFTs and I want to, you know, all these kind of selfish material like steps that if I hit those steps, I'm going to get to, you know, I'm going to be a successful photographer. But I don't actually have a definition for a successful, to be a success. That's just happiness for me. If I'm happy in what I do. And so going back to, we were talking off air, but the process is the most important thing for me. Because I know if I get the process right and I enjoy it, the rest will come. So does that answer your question? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. I, I'm sure that a lot of the listeners can relate to this. Of course, it's nice to have goals and to achieve great things as a photographer. 
But if you don't like what you do, then those achievements aren't going to feel that great anyway. So it's important to have that stable foundation first and within yourself. And once you have that, then you'll be able to enjoy everything that comes your way. Well, yeah. How many, I mean, I'm not going to ask your age at all, but when I hit 40s, I'm old enough to kind of be proud of what I have achieved, whether it's in photography or not. But I know that those, that pride is transient. You know, as soon as you hit a goal, whatever that is, level of income, number of children, bigger house, better camera, working with a brand you've always wanted to work with, as soon as you get it, I guarantee you 100% the happiness will wear off pretty quickly because it's just a, it's just a thing. It's immediately in the past. As soon as you achieve something, it's gone. That's the past. So I think people who are goal orientated will, will rarely be that happy. So I think, you know, focusing on the process and believing that the, the goals, the, the success, however you might want to define that, will come from that process, then you're winning. You're just winning at life, let alone photography. 100%. Yes, I completely agree. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I learned so much about you and your work, and I really wish you the very best with your journey as a photographer. Thank you very much. It's been an, been an absolute pleasure talking about myself again. Uh, <laughs> but as I, um, hopefully we can reverse the roles and you can come on the Mood podcast soon. I would love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that Matt's story inspired you to go out there, meet some new people, take some great photos of them, and really connect with them. I think it's so special that we as photographers have the opportunity to meet different people. Even if you're not a portrait photographer, you can always go out there and communicate with others, share your work with them. And it's always a good starting point for conversation. So don't be afraid of talking about yourself and asking questions and just getting to know different people. Thank you for listening once again, and I'll see you next week. There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to PhotographyCourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.